to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week, I've invited my business partner, Cody Shirk, to be a guest on The J. Kim Show. Cody's an explorer, surfer, and founding partner of Explorer Equity Group. He travels and invests around the world, sourcing hidden and hard-to-access investment opportunities. Uh, and I am sitting here at the table with Cody. So, Cal- Cody, welcome to Hong Kong and to the show. Thank you. I'm finally here. Uh, figuratively on the podcast and physically in Hong Kong. So I know. Glad I've, to be here. I've, I've been wanting to have you on for so long, and we just have never been able to uh, to do it. And finally, I had to drag you all the way physically to Hong Kong uh, to to record this. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, and thanks for coming to the show. And we've uh, we've pulled out two Asahi's here uh, to to crack open now. This celebratory crack. That's right. So uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get into it today. Let's and, get cracking. Uh, I'm uh, I'm excited. So, let's uh, start off with just a little bit of background. Um, you you have a very uh, unique background uh, compared to probably most of the guests that have come onto the show. So maybe you could give our audience a little bit of color. Where are you from? You know, how you? What was your background beforehand, and how did you eventually become a full time investor? Yeah. So, like you said, I am a full time investor right now, but I have no official or formal finance background. So it's kind of a weird uh, profession or venture that I've ended up in. Uh, Originally, I grew up in Malibu, California, which is a pretty wealthy area, but I was not wealthy myself. So on one hand, I was surrounded by all this money and it was very attractive and, um, you know, it looked exciting. But on the other hand, I had this confusion of how do you get from point A to point B and, you know, not growing up wealthy, but being surrounded by wealthy, I want to say you're jealous, but you have this kind of like this, this question, this curiosity. So, um, after graduate high school, I went to college to play water polo and I probably wouldn't have gone to college if it wasn't for sports. So it was kind of one of those natural hmm. progression type things where people go to college and you don't really know why you're going there. And, uh, right. that's very common in the U S uh, and then after college, I became a firefighter and that's a very much a blue collar job, but, uh, it, it's a unique job in the sense that if you want to work a lot, you can make pretty good money for being somebody young. And so looking back at how I grew up and seeing all this money, I said, Oh, I want to get there, but I'm probably not going to get there as a firefighter. So I, I took every paycheck that I had and I saved at least 50% if not more. And, and, wow. and um, it was really hard to do. And, and, uh, you know, uh, we definitely, when I say we, it was me and my girlfriend at the time, we sacrificed a lot. We uh, <laughs> were eating rice and beans, living out of a trailer. It was it was the real deal saving, but we reinvested like literally every dollar and got to a point where, um, you know, we, we had done a lot of investments and um, we were... Uh, we were looking all right financially mm-hmm. compared to where uh, or what I was familiar with. So I eventually left the fire department. And as any investor finds out, you reach a point in time when it's almost impossible to continue on your own. I mean, you can t- certainly do a lot of personal investments throughout the world. You can do whatever you want, but you need at a certain point to scale up and you need help with that. So uh, at that point, um, when this is pretty recently, within the past two years, I uh released a investing syndicate which is called the explorer partnership and basically what it is is it's a group of like-minded people that go around the world and invest in exciting opportunities 
that, that's an awesome intro. And, and uh, I, I'm in, in a strange way, uh, it, because it's so diverse and different from my background, um, I'm, I'm actually very jealous. Uh, it sounds strange to say that, but I'm jealous in that you were actually uh, able to uh, basically create the life that you wanted um, and, and by just observing and studying and researching and working hard and saving. Um, and, you know, everyone that is an investor sort of knows that one of the first ways and the core tenets of, of wealth building or wealth generation is to, um, is to be frugal when you can and save a lot. So um, it's just funny because my background was probably completely 180 opposite of you. And I was actually in Wall Street uh, spending 50% of my paycheck on rent alone. So I literally, I, I left my first few years, uh, this big shot career on Wall Street, but I basically left uh, with zero, uh, nothing to show for, right? So I think it's, uh, it's, it's ironic, but I think it's really cool how, you know, two people from completely different backgrounds were kind of ended up in the same place. Yeah, but and I think there's some, there's value to that because, um, you know, your background and, and other investors' background is, is very attractive to me and interesting to me. It's, it's like grass is always greener type scenario where you think, oh, wow, I wish I had that opportunity. I wish I did that. And then the person that I'm looking at is looking back at me and saying the same thing. And when you have people with that much diversity and, and, and you know, a different history and a different knowledge set, when you put them together, you can often create really great things because everybody's going to bring something very different to the table. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what uh, you're definitely doing that with uh, the Explore Partnership, and um, you know we'll we'll get into sort of how we we're actually business partners on a uh, sort of a fund investing level. But um, you know, in the end, investing is what basically brought us together um, and uh, being like-minded in that regard. And so I think that um, the key theme is basically you know. Uh, you know, I like I like basically the theme that you bring to the table is 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 one of you don't need pedigree, you don't need a fancy college degree or education, you don't need to have had to go work on Wall Street to become wealthy and generate wealth and uh, get access to things that seemingly uh, only rich people get access to. And so I think that um, this is a very unique value proposition that you bring to the table. And uh, you know, and so let's let's dig in actually to to some more of that. Tell us a little bit about. The Explorer Partnership and uh, what you know that it's it's uh, investing syndicate as you said, but it's also um, you know it's also your business uh, that that you run day to day, and you, I know you do a lot of work for it, um, and it, and it it's basically pays you your salary. So why don't you share with us what the EP is? Well, um, it's a private social investing group, so it's called the Explorer Partnership, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's basically a uh, private group of individuals who are exploring the world um, as partners, not as literal partners, but as figurative partners for opportunities. Uh, there is a membership fee, but honestly, the, the fee doesn't really go to any profits. It goes back into the group to pay for investing opportunities, uh, trips, dinners, and we have a lot of members perks with a you know a website online or the members directory so people can stay in touch. We have private you know chat channels and all that type of stuff. So we go on three to four trips per year. In the past year, we've been to Colombia, Ukraine, Puerto Rico, Denver, and our next one is in Asia. We'll be in Hong Kong, Shenzhen, and Macau. And what we do is we, we look for investments. And 
after we physically go meet founders of companies, we get to shake their hands, we get to see their business operations, we get to see everything. It's the real deep dive due diligence. We create a fund and that fund pools our members' money together and we're able to not only invest in these great opportunities, but we can negotiate great terms because the type of money we're coming in with is not five, ten thousand uh, dollars $10,000. We're coming in with a significant amount of money for these these companies. So we can say, hey, we want a better valuation or we want these terms or we want uh, a seat on your board or whatever it is. We can really have a lot more control over uh, the investments. Obviously, everything has risk, but if we can try to get uh, certain terms which are going to increase our chances of profiting, then you know that's a great deal for everyone. So by uh, going on these trips, everyone in the group gets to see what these investments are and get a better idea of, of what the investments are like. We also do dinners throughout the year. We average probably one per month, and those are all around the world. We've done them everywhere from Asia, London, all over the U.S., uh, South America, I mean, all over the place. And these are just a time for people to join in together, talk, exchange stories, uh, network, and really just share a meal and get to know each other. And that's really the best thing in any business, as anyone can attest to. It's it's getting to know people. It's your network. Uh, it sounds cheesy. Your, your network is your net worth, but it's the truth. So it's that quality time that really brings the group together and adds value. Uh, the group also has a lot of membership perks. So because we're a, a larger group, we can uh, negotiate better terms with services that range from, uh, you know, special travel insurance or if we're buying, um, you know, real estate or or even like precious metals like we've talked about, we can get better terms because we're going in as a group. So there's a lot of type of those type group perks that the group benefits from. So uh, just to take a quick step back, how did you... Um, how, how did you actually curate members to this group? What uh, is the sort of application process if you are interested? Um, and what, like, how much does it cost? You know, because I know that with all the events you do, you actually a lot of times aren't making money off of the, the membership and the minimum fees and, and this sort of thing. So um, I'm just curious as to how your business model works. Yeah, so great question. Um, so to back up a little bit, I had been writing about all the investments I've been doing for a long time. And the reason I write about the investments is is not really to share with anybody, even though I do. It's more to keep myself in check. And when you write something out, it really makes you think things through. Because a lot of times you'll write about something and through that process of you researching and you really putting your thoughts on paper, you find out my idea is dumb or this investment is horrible or through that process of synthesizing everything you go wow i should not be doing this so it was a good practice <laughs> for me but while the, everyone was was reading or a lot of people reading what i was writing about a lot of people were like hey this is this is interesting i want to join in with you and and that's essentially how the explore partnership came to um you know came to be so right now we charge uh, we've increased the fees because we've actually added a ton of value a lot of um basically members perks that that we pay for. So it's a $5,000 upfront fee and then it's $2,000 a year. And the funds that we make and all the investments that we provide, we do not charge any type of management fee. So basically we say, Hey, you want to invest in here? You know, we're, we're not collecting any money upfront. So uh, there's no way that we're going to be, you know, making money off these investments. We're just providing uh, these, these opportunities for you. And the, the membership fees go towards uh, services that we provide. For example, the dinners, uh, we have dinners around the world and uh, these are really nice dinners and any member can come for free. And it's just, that's part of the perk. And you could come to every single dinner if you want, you can come to one, two, whatever you want. 
Um, and then the way we do make money is that we charge a 20% carry fee on the funds that we make. And it's, it's worth noting that I personally invest my own money in, in, um, in these funds. And they're at the same exact terms as the members. And I don't accept any type of front-end referral, commission, kickback, any of that stuff. So basically, the only way I'm going to personally profit is if the investments are profiting. So that incentivizes me to find really good investments and also uh, broker really good deals because... Uh, if if the group's not profiting, neither am I. So it's it's a very good structure, in, in my opinion. It's it's it, it, everyone's interest is is uh, you know thought of. And I think that it's uh, you know we've we've spoken about fees and 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 the the change that we see that shift in the asset management industry that's happening right now. And as someone that works at a hedge fund that charges. Uh, two and twenty, which uh, is a lot, a lot of money uh, for sort of a management fee, um, and it also, I mean, in the, in the fund management industry, that will provide overhead for salaries and office space and this sort of thing. But I can definitely see that um, coming from the other side, if you're just an investor, uh, you know, a lot of times those fees aren't justified. So I think it's uh, the way that it was set up is very fair and unique, and it really, really sort of um, you know, it's 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 a genuine way of of offering a service where basically, yeah, like you said, you don't get paid unless right. all your investors and, make and money. Our, our quote management fee, which is that upfront fee, which is what the members pay, which is two thousand dollars a year. Um, they don't have to invest. So, what are they paying for? Well, they're paying for all these these perks and these trips, and basically, they're getting a platter of options served to them. Not only do they get these trips that they can go on, but they also get these investment opportunities. And it's not just me sourcing these deals. I, I believe that I have a good deal flow because I'm traveling the world constantly looking at opportunities. But, um, you know, our, our extended network is also providing a lot of um, deal flow. And also we have a, basically a full team that does due diligence on all these deals to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're covering all the bases and we're trying to poke holes in any story that we think is, is true. And, and once we find something that looks really attractive, um, we feel confident presenting the investment to the members because we're putting our money in that investment as well. So it's, um, like I said, it's, it's incentivized all the way around. Definitely full skin in the game. Totally. I think that, uh, you know, this goes along with sort of forward looking and how the fund management industry is going to change. Obviously fees are coming down, uh, rapidly. Um, and that's on every level of asset management. And I think that, uh, I think that as since the financial crisis, I think that there's just been this sort of, uh, this desire to reset um, uh, basically fiduciary duty. Uh, so asset managers who once got away with charging exorbitant fees and not posting up performance, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like we're going through a day of reckoning or a, t- or a period of time of reckoning where a lot of the freeloaders or people that basically, um, you know, collected a lot of money up front, charge a management fee and was not able to produce results, they're going to get weeded out and culled. So, um, as far as setting up a business for the long term, I think that the way you're going about it is the right way. Yeah, and, and we, we hope that's the case. We, we believe in it. And um, yeah, I agree with you with all these low cost uh, brokers out there and, and uh, low cost providers. It's pretty hard to compete with those guys. So you either got to gotta perform or you've got to structure the investment. So you're only profiting if your investors are. So another uh, sort of forward-looking trend, and we've we t- kind of talked about this uh, recently, but it's hard to actually pinpoint. Uh, but with your experiences and the way that uh, you're leading these the, your ex- investing group around, 
Um, I personally think it's very unique because I, I, don't, I haven't really run across a lot of these uh, you know, investing syndicates where you can actually travel and actually meet the co-founder. Um, and this is one of the big things, uh, barriers that used to exist in private equity and early stage investing particularly is, uh, is access to management. And so unless you were a big name Sequoia or, or one of these big uh, VCs, um, you know, it was very hard to find access to the best deals or even just have a conversation with a founder of a hot startup. Um, and part of it is the Silicon Valley old boys network, and they like to try to keep it that way and, and private. And, and so it's not as democratized. But I think that's all changing, you know, with the flow of information now, with the Internet accessibility, all these walls are being broken down. I think that the experience part is, uh, is extremely special and unique. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the last trip that you did, uh, kind of big one was in Colorado. And uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about how that experience went and uh, what, what happened afterwards. Yeah, so we went to Denver, Colorado, which is the basically, I'd say almost world capital of cannabis. And what that means is that Denver and Colorado in general was basically the, the first state to really take on cannabis in a big commercial way. So we went to Denver as a group. Uh, we had our Explorer Partnership members and we invited some guests. There was actually a lot of us. I think it was maybe 60 or 70 of us. So first of all, it was a really fun time. Uh, we had dinner at some of the nicest restaurants in Denver. And again, that's what some of the membership dues pay for. Uh, and then we went and toured a variety of different cannabis facilities. So we visited an edibles manufacturing facility, a actual grow, a cannabis grow, and then a cannabis um, basically processing facility. And by visiting these places, the investors got a real understanding of what's going on in the market. And keep in mind, just because we were visiting this place, it's not like we were consuming cannabis. In fact, we didn't. Um, <laughs> we, we made a point of it not to because we wanted to make sure that we understood everything that's going on. And, uh, and we really looked at it in a real professional way. Uh, we shook hands with the CEOs, the operators, and even the, the lowest, quote, the lowest level employee of these companies. We wanted to know what their job was, what they're doing, what the future is, uh, what their concerns were, everything. And... Obviously, uh, our company does all the due diligence first, and then we get our investors in there. And if an investor has an issue or um, um, something we didn't notice, like we want to hear about it. And that's why we go there to, to do all these, I mean, like I said, deep dive due diligence. Now, from that trip, we ended up investing in three companies. And uh, I, I can't disclose right now, but one of them uh, in particular, we just had news about going... Um, uh, having a big exit next year, so uh, we're, we're we're looking very forward to that. And the other companies we invest in are also doing very well. So, from an investing standpoint, it was and it, and it will be uh, a success. But from an experience standpoint, you know, it was a lot of value for the investors. They got a true understanding of how the market works uh, and and where it's going. And and we had fun. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, so I think it's, uh, again, it's it's the camaraderie, it's the experience, and it's also, uh, it's just learning, you know, and as uh, as investors, uh, it's hard to just sit behind the computer and try to figure things out, you know, I mean, one of the keys uh, to investing is actually getting different perspectives and, and being able to have a group or whether it's a team member or a investment committee or a mentor or, or just a investing syndicate group of friends that you can bounce ideas off of and you can basically have people challenge your assumptions 
Uh, and that's the only way that you can basically find an investment thesis uh, and, and work on it and, and solidify it and make it uh, a successful investment. So um, I think it's a, it's a very cool group that you have and uh, it's a great business model. Um, I want to just talk to you a little bit about sort of trends and stuff like that. What you're what you're seeing, you know, you're you're, you're traveling around the world. You're doing six trips a year and all these dinners, and you're meeting a, a bunch of different uh, opportunities and, and founders. What uh what areas of growth uh, excite you the most right now? Um, where are you looking at uh, investing in in say this year or the in the coming three to five years? Where 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 should the attention be right now? Yeah, so. Clearly, there's a lot of exciting things going on in the world, and um, we're living in a time that is unlike any other. It's, we have that hockey stick type chart in almost everything, <laughs> the longevity, longevity of our, our lives, the, our technology, our transportation, on and on. And you know, we could dive into any of those, but I'm going to go back to cannabis because I yep. think it's one of the... Um, well, first of all, people think of cannabis and they think of a stoner and they think of somebody's getting high and, and abusing it. And it's this kind of dirty industry. And the truth is that that's pretty accurate for what it has <laughs> been. And that's that's straight up what it is. The thing is, is that it's changing. I, I tell people that my, uh, a prediction of mine for the cannabis consumer is going to be your middle aged uh, mom. It's going to be your mom that normally drinks a glass of Chardonnay in the evening. But guess what? Chardonnay is not only fattening, but it gives you a hangover. And it's not easy to hold a wine glass while you're, you know, tucking your kid in at night or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so you assume that people that, that consume cannabis, marijuana, they're getting high and they're getting stoned out of their mind. But that's really not the truth. Uh you can consume cannabis on a very small dosage and it has the effect of you drinking one beer or one glass of wine. Mm -hmm. So you, you look at the consumers that are out there that would be prefer cannabis versus uh, pharmaceuticals or alcohol or any type of mind altering um, substance. And cannabis is very attractive. It doesn't give you a hangover. It's not fattening. Um, it's impossible to overdose on. And you can, with, with new products, you can really um, dose down or take a small dosage to just relax. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people don't need that in their life. And that's fine. But a lot of people do need that. A lot of people do need help sleeping. They do want to relax at night. They want to forget about... Um, you know, they don't want to stress out about business or they don't want to toss and turn all night. They just want to like have a calm mind. And, and that's where uh, we think the big opportunity is. The other big thing to consider is that it's federally illegal in the United States right now for cannabis. Now, uh, there are over 10 states now where, um, well, there's significant legislation moving where there's, uh, it's recreationally legal. So there's many states in the U.S. where it's medically legal, which means you can get it with a medical um, basically diagnostics, you have, you know, trouble sleeping, sore back, whatever it is, and they'll, they'll prescribe you, um, basically a card that you can go use or buy cannabis with. Now, many states have changed it where you can recreationally use it, which means you can, anybody off the street can go in, buy it, and then you consume it just like you would drink a beer or have a, have wine or anything like that. So, uh, what's happening right now is that, it, like I said, it's federally illegal, and it's very interesting. For someone who's outside of the U.S., it's very difficult to understand state law versus federal law. Federal law is supposed to supersede state law, which means that f the, the federal government is supposed to um, enforce their laws, but they're not. They're not enforcing the laws in these states, which puts the federal government in a pretty weird situation that these states are basically doing this even though it's illegal. So th the point is, is that as an investor, we can look at this industry and say, okay, well, you have California, you have these big states. California is like the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world right now. It's recreationally legal. 
they're literally making millions and millions and millions of dollars off of, of you know of taxes from this substance. Are they going to change that? Yeah, they're going to change their policy. The federal government's going to change their policy. And you have countries like Uruguay, you have uh, countries over in Europe who are much more lenient, and then you have Canada just made it recreationally legal. So this is happening. As an investor, you can basically say, okay, I know that the majority of the market is staying out of the cannabis market because it's illegal. And that's fine. That means you have all these huge funds that cannot participate or will not participate because it's illegal. But we know where the trend is going. So for the small investor, you can invest in this and know that, you know, we don't know when, but it's very, very likely that it's going to be legal in the future. So you can think of it as a prohibition, you know, back in the early uh, 1900s in the U.S., alcohol was illegal and then went back to being legal. And this, that's exactly what's going to happen in the cannabis. So now's the time to get positioned. And you have a lot of companies popping up right now that have a lot of lot of upside potential. And, uh, you know, that's where we can jump in with them. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I mean, uh, exactly as you said, right now, a lot of the big players are on the sideline because they like, like their fund mandate will not allow them to touch the space. Um, but like you said, it's like the cat's already out of the bag. You know, the macro tailwind is going only in one direction. So then it's really a matter of finding the right investments and the right partners within the space that you can trust and rely and basically betting on the right yeah horse, it's funny right? you say that because we actually have a hedge fund manager who's in our explore partnership group and he he can't he can't invest in it his fund mandate says no because it's federally illegal but him personally says hey i want to invest in this because this is a great opportunity and uh, he got in on on the deals and and we're doing really well so he's happy with that but that's a perfect example of a guy who is he's, he's super sharp he runs a fund he knows what he's doing and when it becomes legal, guess what he's probably going to do with his fund? He's probably going to invest. And right. he's probably going to you know, maybe invest in the same company we did just a lot later. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's definitely uh, it's exciting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, right now, cannabis and crypto are like the two hot areas. But yep. at least with cannabis, you get something like a product or, or, yeah, or a and, high or something. And, and, and I'm, I'm totally pro on crypto. I'm not anti-crypto. But like you said, I mean, cannabis is a proven market. It's literally been around for thousands of years. Right. We know people consume it. We know that it's not like this fad that's going to go away. It's here. People use it, and it's you know it's just a matter of time until it becomes more of much more of a regulated market. Uh, and you know we're just waiting for the government. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, we're gonna have to have a whole separate crypto podcast uh, debate uh, in, in the future. Yeah, I'm stressing me out just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, okay, so uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm definitely with you. I'm bullish on on cannabis overall, and I think that it's gonna be interesting to see how this this plays out. But um, there's definitely a, a huge tailwind there. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, uh, last couple questions, I guess, as we as we sort of look to wrap up, and um, I think that again, it's it's pretty cool what you've put together, and uh, and it's definitely a unique way to sort of get access to these types of deals. So, if you're an investor or an aspiring investor, I would definitely encourage you to check out um, the Explorer Partnership. Um, Best or worst investment ever? You can pick. <laughs> um, I'll do both really quickly. Okay, cool. Because so my best investment. Um, it wasn't monetarily my best, but it was my best because it's just so simple. So I was in Panama years ago, and um, basically I surf, and I realized the value of a wave. And so basically I figured out a way to buy some land in front of this wave. And and then this was when I knew a lot less about finance and investing. And it was literally one of the easiest things you could do uh, in terms of 
comp- complications. It was just, you just got to find the landowner owner and buy it. And it was a lot of work, but it was really easy. Like there wasn't that many steps. It was just you got to go in the jungle and then f- find out who owns the land and buy it. And um, so we bought it, and we still own it today, but we've been offered multiples of what we bought it for. So I, it's my favorite investment because it's 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 so simple. You mm-hmm. just buy value where you know it is because you have an advantage. And right. I uniquely had an advantage because I was a surfer and found this thing in Panama. But everyone has that advantage in their life where they have some expertise on something. And if you have that advantage, it's like take it. Take advantage of it, and and totally. don't overcomplicate it. Just make it simple. So that's that's my best investment, just because I, I like the I like the simplicity of it, and I think that a lot of investments should be like that, just really simple. Um, worst investment. Um, well, I've had a lot of bad investments. I've, I've lost plenty of money, and that's that's you know I've had my my MBA or whatever you want to call it, my investment degree in hard knocks. But I think the most frustrating investment I had it was in a, it was an angel investment into uh, actually a friend's. That's another thing. Don't invest with your friends <laughs> in general. But um, I, I invested in, in a friend's company, and uh, it was doing really well. And uh, long story short, they had some issues with the founders. They broke up. And when I had invested, I had a lot of collateral with investment. So basically, if I lost the money, there was this collateral I was supposed to get. And so I felt like it was a really safe play. Even though it was an angel investment, it failed, I would get this collateral, which was some IP and some trademarks and, and some other stuff. Well, come to like when it would actually happen when they failed, I realized that I had to go through this whole legal battle and suing them and the whole you know lawyer fees and all that stuff. So the actual cost of hiring the lawyers and going through this whole process of getting that collateral was more than I had invested. So uh, the reason why I was the worst investment is because I thought it was a safe thing. And then I, I don't, I don't know how I did overlooked it in the beginning, but it was just, is a total failure. So, um, I would chalk it up as a really good lesson learned and uh, my worst investment, because I don't know how I didn't see that in, in the beginning. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I think that, um, what just popped into my mind is uh, the is it called FDIC in the in the yeah. US where like you can deposit and they they claim that it covers right. up to I think X it's amount. up to two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars now. Mm-hmm. But then uh, what people a lot of people realized during the financial crisis and these banks for you know were going down and closing was that uh, it, it, it it's something like it, it'll take like ninety nine years. Yeah, or something well, for it was a hundred thousand when it happened in oh wait, and then they changed it afterwards because. Yeah. Basically, they're like, if it's over hundred grand, you're you're um, crap out of luck. You yeah, know? exactly. And so it's basically like a a fake insurance policy. Like you put your money there, but really, I mean, the chances that you're actually going to get it back are slim to none. Yeah, so I think a lot of investors um, overlook really simple things, and for a number of reasons. Uh, one, people just take things for granted, and then sometimes people don't want to ask the stupid question. But oftentimes, the stupid question is the thing you should be worrying about totally um so we're gonna just keep going as we wrap up here with this drilling in the back uh one of the good things about hong kong is the construction never stops um so coming from your background uh you know and and again i get asked a lot of questions um through my writing and and you probably get 10 to 20 or to 100 times as many inquiries as i do just because of your unique background um, but people are always like, well, you know, it's not, it's not 
that easy for just a normal person to invest and you know you had a career in wall street and you have blah 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 and um you know no one like people can't fly around the world like you do to to find these investments and oh you have connections and it's not fair um but in reality uh you started at zero just like anyone else did you know and so um from your perspective uh how do you answer that question you know someone a young uh, person comes up to you or even old and is just like look i want to start building my wealth i don't know how to do it you started when you were young and now you're independently financially free um and you know and i think that that's a burning question for a lot of people how did you do it you know you were a firefighter but somehow you managed to have financial freedom now you know yeah you know it's it's a touchy subject because it's i don't want to say oh well it was easy so you can do it and and i've had lots of help along the way and and i'm i'm lucky in a, a variety of ways i'm lucky to be healthy i'm lucky for all those types of things but um the reality is is that you know, most people have that ability to go out there and make things happen. It just looks really unobtainable at the time. I, I remember when I was when I was testing to become a firefighter, I, I knocked on all the, the fire station doors because I wanted to do a mock interview, which is a practice interview. And basically getting hired, that's really the most important thing is, is this interview process. You got to do this physical part and a mental part and like polygraph and all this stuff. But then it comes down to this interview. So if you if you smoke the interview, um, you're going to do well. If you bomb it, you're going to not get hired. So it all matters about that. So anyways, I knocked on all these fire station doors. And I mean, I, I was a lot. I probably did 20 or 30 of them. And, and uh, not one fire station said no. I would knock on the door and say, hey, you know, my name's Cody Shirk. Uh, I'm testing to be a firefighter, and I would really appreciate some help. Would you mind doing a mock interview with me? It might be an hour or two, and I apologize if I'm interrupting you, but I would really appreciate it. And, you know, a couple of them said, hey, we're really busy right now. Can you come back? Or, hey, uh, you know, stay here. We'll, we'll be with you in just a second. But no one said no. And I think that is pretty consistent in any in industry. Yeah. And, for example, the finance industry is very intimidating because you look at these guys who have made a lot of money and they're very accomplished and have these fancy degrees and, and on and on. But it's human nature to want to help one another. And if you just ask, like they're going to help you. Most people are going to help you. And so you, if you if you have that persistence, and obviously you got to go about the right way, you have to be strategic about it and be polite and all that, you're going to get a lot more help than you think. And so if I could recommend anything, I would just tell people that first of all, it is possible, whatever you want to do, it is possible. And second of all, ask, ask for help and, and people will help you. Um, the scariest thing is, is asking though. And also it just, just be humble and knowing that you don't know. Um, and, and once you get to that point, it's much easier to ask and it's much easier to learn for, for, you know, what you're being told from other people. Totally. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's a, that's a great sort of example of how, um, you know, persistence and, and, uh, just really just not, not worrying about, uh, you know, looking and being embarrassed or that sort of thing. You know, you kind of have to have thick skin, but if you want something and you're going to go after it and, and, uh, and get it, um, I would just add to that, um, you know, obviously don't be afraid to ask, but before you ask, do your homework. I mean, there's, Oh, absolutely. Ask uh, the right people, <laughs> ask the right people, ask the right questions to the right people. I mean, there's so much information online available right now that, you should not have any questions about the person that you're approaching. Like you should be able to figure out most things and you have to be creative, but you know, the worst thing you can do is when you finally muster up the courage and you get that connection or you, someone, someone, uh, you know, introduces you to that person is to basically, uh, you know, stumble because you're asking them the wrong questions or you're, 
just uh, showing that you haven't done research on them or the situation. So um, that's just a side thing I'd like to add. Um, cool, man. Well, look, it's been great having you on the podcast. I've been wanting to get you on for, for a long, long time. Um, and I think that uh, uh, we'll probably have you on back relatively soon. I know that you have a couple exciting things coming up that we can't really talk about right yep. now, but um, I'm, I, I'm sure my, uh, we'll, we'll have a chance to, to share it to the audience when that stuff happens. But in the meantime, where's the best place that people can find you, follow you, or learn a little bit more about the Explorer Partnership? So the easiest way is just to go to codyshirk.com. It's my name. Um, and I'm pretty available, meaning you send me a message, I'm going to answer you uh, no matter what. I'll try my best to help out, but I'm really available. Same thing goes with like Twitter, LinkedIn, all that stuff. It's just my name, Cody Shirk. You can, you can find me. Um, as far as the Explorer Partnership, you can go to the explorerpartnership.com and there's information there and you can check out uh, what's going on. And we would love to you know, invite and welcome any interested uh, new members. That's awesome. Uh, and just real quickly, what, what are the uh, remaining trips for the year that you had for your partnership? Great question. So uh, we're going to be in China, um, and that's in a couple weeks. And then uh, later in the year, we will, gosh, we're going to be in Toronto, Boston, New York, Las Vegas. Uh, and then we have London. I mean, we got everything planned out. <laughs> so we have, we have dinners all over the place and we've got some trips planned out. So, um, there's, it's highly likely that we'll be, we'll be in a city near you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. You, you have the whole itinerary set up. So, um, I would encourage, uh, just personally, I would encourage all my listeners because I know that the stuff that Cody writes about is very much in line with, uh, sort of my thinking and my, my investment analysis. So, um, he writes a free, basically blog newsletter that you can sign up for at codyshark.com. Yep, totally free. No catches. And, uh, and it's awesome. It really is. Like every week he just talks about really interesting investments or asymmetrical trades. So highly encourage you guys to do it. Cody, thanks again for the time and the beer and uh, look forward to having you back on soon. Thank you. Let's have another one. All right. All right. See you. Take care. <laughs>
That's hackyour.fitness. 